Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Well, today I want to talk to you, speak to you about the book of Ephesians. And we just finished up uh, several weeks looking at the book of Galatians. And uh, you know what comes after Galatians in the Bible? Ephesians, yeah. So let's take a look at Ephesians together. Um, I'd actually been reading a while back. I started reading uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, those four those short little letters there in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of the New Testament. And uh, this was really blessed. We, we talked about them on our Wednesday night Bible study. We studied some of it. And I just felt that, man, these are such powerful letters. They stirred me up, you know. And how many of you know uh, you want a preacher to preach something that stirs him, right? <laughs> if it doesn't stir me up, it's not going to stir you up. And I'm telling you, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, they stir me up. So I thought, well, hey, let's just stay here. As long as there's fruit, man, let's just keep digging, right? So uh, we're going to look to look today, Bruce, if I was going to name this and you can name it this, uh, Ephesians part one, all right? Remember your first love. That's what I want to talk about today is remembering your first love. So Ephesians is also written by the Apostle Paul, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, and you know, what, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. But uh, these three letters here, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, are referred to as the prison epistles because they were written by Paul when he was under arrest in, in Rome. So he's sitting there. He's not free to go. And I want to read, if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to skip the two-verse introduction and just jump into verse 3. And uh, I was looking at different translations to read this. Normally I read in the C, uh, what do I read? The ESV is what I've got. Um, I've got ESV on the screen, but don't look at that for a minute. Just listen to this because I found it in the CEV, a contemporary English version. I was looking for a different version that didn't use all the religious words. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want to hear words like predestination and, and uh, those kinds of things because I wanted just to let the passage breathe on its own instead of reading it and putting all the theological ideas in it that we've been thinking about, you know. So let's just look at what it says. It's going to be a little different uh, unless you have a CEV. Um, but listen to how this translation reads it. Chapter 3 or chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for the spiritual blessings that Christ has brought us from heaven. Before the world was created, Christ, God had Christ choose us to live with him and to be his holy and innocent and loving people. God was kind and decided that Christ would choose us to be God's own adopted children. God treated us with undeserved grace because of the son he dearly loves. And so we should praise God. I mean, he just starts off with this just abundance of praise. And you read that and you're thinking, does Paul realize he's a prisoner? I mean, listen to him going, you know, this is something that you think you would say in a big fancy church, a cathedral, you know, with, with big fancy robes and choir or whatever. You know, this is, this is, this is lofty language, isn't it? And where, where is it originating? It's originating in the heart of a man who is he's locked up. He's not free to go. He's, 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 he's under guard in Rome. So is Paul just saying big religious words here? Is he just teaching us to have a good confession in the middle of our trials? Or is this something that's real to him? Look around you, Paul. How do you see the kindness of God locked up in a place like this? 
How can you say that God has chosen you to live with him when you're living under guard, locked up, can't go anywhere you want? You're living in chains, man. You're saying God's living with you. You're chained up. But Paul knew he was a part of a much bigger story. Amen? And that's what he's seeing here. He, he could praise God because he knew that God had a big plan, not just for Paul, but he had a big plan for the whole world. And Paul was a part of that story. And he's just totally lost in the story as he starts off and he recounts it here in the beginning of, uh, of Ephesians. Verse 7, he says, Christ, uh, uh, Christ sacrificed his life's blood to set us free. I mean, he's just so caught up in Christ sacrificed his life's blood to set us free. And you could say free. What are you talking about free? You're, you're in chains, Paul. How are, how, how, are you, how are you free? You've got charges against you. You're going to go to court and maybe have to give your life for what you've been doing. How can you say you are free? But I want to tell you, for Paul, freedom wasn't just about personal liberty. Freedom means that we're forgiven. That's what freedom means. You know, we sometimes forget what Jesus said in John 8, 34. He says, Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's what he said. And so you might look at Paul and say, what are you talking about, Paul, being free? Your religion has got you locked up. <laughs> And Paul might look back at you and say, what are you talking about? You're a slave to sin and don't even know it. <laughs> what does it mean to be a slave to something? To be a slave to something means that something else owns you, right? Something else controls you. Something else is making decisions for you. You're not free to do as you wish, right? Something has power over you. And then Jesus is saying, hey, you're a slave to sin. That's why, honestly, we've got to get very serious about living in holiness. Yeah. We do, because we don't want something to control us. We don't want there to be something hidden in us, something planted that the devil can just come, you know, a little secret button that he knows that he can just come and press anytime he wants and control us, right? We want to eliminate the buttons, amen, so that we're completely 100% free to follow God. And Jesus wants to come, and Jesus wants to set us free, Amen. So it's time we get serious about it. You know, um, in America, the same problems are in the church that are in the world. Statistics, I mean, when you see the statistics, it's embarrassing. But they are. And I'm not just talking about all the big ones, you know. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul actually said, he says, I hear that there's sin among you guys that's not even tolerated among the pagans. That's how bad the church was back then. <laughs> hey, that, that's not... That's not something that we should be proud about. Uh, that's not a. That's not a. Uh, that's not an opportunity to brag on the grace of God. That's an embarrassment. That the pagans even do better than we do. Sometimes people out in the world live better lives, more disciplined lives, more holy lives than the church, and that shouldn't be, should it? And I'm not just talking about all the big ones, you know, adultery and fornication and all that. I'm talking about the little ones. What, what we think is little, but the Bible doesn't call it little. The Bible doesn't call hatred little. Jealousy, unforgiveness, gossip, those aren't little in the heart and mind of God. Those are those little buttons, man, that you're running your race, man, you're doing good, and the devil just comes and, and hits that thing, and boom, you're not free. You find out you're still chained up. He wants to get rid of those things in our lives. Unforgiveness, hatred, anger, and strife. I mean, we, we tolerate those, don't we? We tolerate those. And so we get this picture. Here's Paul, and he's imprisoned. 
in chains, yet he is completely free of all of these things. Nothing on his conscience, no button for the devil to come and press. He's met Jesus, man, and he's just free. In the middle of his circumstances, he's completely free. Praise God. Because if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Look at that. Jesus answered, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Verse 35, John 8, 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the reality that Paul found that he could talk this big, wonderful stuff right there in the middle of prison because he saw it and it was real to him. And this passage in Ephesians is exactly that. It's about how God has given you and me a permanent place in the family of God. Amen. Let's pick it up. Verse eight or verse seven and eight. Um, Christ sacrificed his blood, his life's blood to set us free, which means our sins are now forgiven. Man, just raise your hands and thank him for your forgiveness of sins, man. God, I thank you, Jesus, because I didn't always do right. And I still don't always do right. But I do thank you for your forgiveness, Lord, that's in Christ Jesus. I thank you for your life's blood that has been poured out for me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ did this because of God's gift of undeserved grace to us. God has great wisdom and understanding. Verse nine, and by what Christ has done, God has shown us his mysterious ways. I love that. God has shown us his mysterious ways. You know, God's ways aren't supposed to be mysterious to his people. Think about that. We talk about, well, God works in mysterious ways. I mean, that's an old saying, right? And I think it was a Susan Ashton song for anybody who's old enough to remember. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> was it Susan Ashton? That's not important. But, uh, but we, we sing about it. We talk about it. God works in mysterious. It's not supposed to be mysterious to you. You're supposed to know his ways. Amos 3, 3 says, how can two walk together unless they agree? We're supposed to be in agreement with God, walking with God. Amen. So we're supposed to know his ways. And he says here that God has shown us his own mysterious ways. Verse 10, then when the time was right, God will do all that he has planned and Christ will bring together everything in heaven and on earth. That's where we're headed, man. That's God's big plan. That's God's big plan. And when you read in um, Revelation, you know, the Rev Revelation 21 is the second to last chapter in the whole Bible. It's, it's, you, you see the new heaven and the new earth that God created. And then you get this picture of this heavenly Jerusalem coming down to earth. And then it, it sets down and heaven and earth are, are united forever. Oh, it's going to be a glorious day, man. It's going to be awesome. Verse 11, God always does what he plans. And this is why he appointed uh, Christ to choose us. He did this so we Jews, so he's talking about the Jewish people in this verse, so we could bring honor to him and be the first ones to have hope because of them. You know, they get the first ones to have hope. Why? Because he's the nation that he chose out of the world to be a blessing for all nations. He always had all nations in mind when he chose the Jewish people. He was not just rescuing the Jews. He was rescuing the whole world. And so he worked through the Jewish people. He brought us Jesus. So why? So that the whole world could be saved. Because the next verse says, in Christ, Christ also brought you the truth. He's talking to non-Jewish believers here. He brought you the truth, which is the good news about how you can be saved. You put your faith in Christ and were given the promised Holy Spirit to show that you belong to God. Amen and amen. That's an awesome passage, isn't it? 
It's a wonderful passage. I think you could probably just you could meditate on that for hours. With each, I mean, each line is some heavy truth. That's just a reality. And it was totally real to him. Verse 14, it's the last verse I will read out of this passage. The Spirit also makes us sure that we will be given what God has stored up for his people. Man, you can be sure that God is gonna give you what he stored up for you because of the Spirit in you, amen? And he says, then we will be set free and God will be honored and praised. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm captivated by that thought that uh we were given the promised Holy Spirit to show that we belong to God. Does my life show that I belong to God? Is the Spirit so real in my life? Not just here in church, man, but where I go every day. Can people tell that I belong to God? You know, the old saying preachers have said for years, if Christianity became illegal today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> All right. I want others to be able to tell that there's something about me because of the Spirit of God in my life. Right. I want that to be the reality for me. Here's Paul in a prison cell. And I mean, just look at how he's handling the situation. Look at his attitude. Look at his mindset. Right. He's not sitting there. Oh, man, here I am bummed out. Here I go again. It's always hard serving God here. It's been hard, man. Everywhere I go, they're trying to kill me and they're always trying to capture me. And here I am in jail. I mean, where does it end, right? You go down that path, man. Paul had every opportunity to go into all kinds of depths of depression, didn't he? But instead, he realized he was a part of the big thing that God was doing. This is a big picture passage. You know, one of my places that I like, I love to go, and Rincom and I like to go up to the pinnacle at Cumberland Gap. Anybody been up there? The pinnacle? Yeah. David, Mary? Yeah, I know you guys have. It's beautiful up there. I love going up there, driving up to the top. You can see like three states. You see the gap. You see all of Powell Valley. You see mountains forever. It's gorgeous. I just like to go up there and just stare, man. Just look in all the different seasons. Watch the birds flying up the side of the mountain. And uh, I just enjoy that so much. And when we flew to India a couple of years ago, we took off we were flying north. I was sitting on the left side of the plane. And I looked out and I was like, that looks familiar out there. And, and I could find, I found the gap and I found the pinnacle and everything from the air. But I'm just saying, that's a big picture thing, right? And this is what Paul has given us. He's given us a, a big picture story. And you, so he's sitting there and he's looking at life it, from a prison cell. He's looking at life from God's perspective from heaven's vantage point, you know? Sure, this room is cold, the bed is uncomfortable, and the food is terrible, right? But that's not my whole story. I'm part of something bigger, right? And you know, sure, you know, um, this is a crazy world, man. Prices are going up, the value of the dollar is going down, the culture is, seems like it's just abandoning God at every point, you know? But come on, are you not part of a bigger picture? God's doing something. He's taking us somewhere, Amen. right? He's working in this world to bring us to a decided purpose, a destiny, heaven and earth will be united and we're going to be the people that he's going to use to bring salvation to the world. I can't tell you how it's going to happen right now because things look as crazy as they've ever been. But man, I'm going to sit here not understanding everything, but not complaining because I'm going to look at the big picture of what God's doing. Amen. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to have a bigger mindset than our immediate circumstances because your immediate circumstances are not all that is going on in your world. Amen. 
And so just look back for a minute at what Paul said. I mean, here, just summarize this. He says, uh, God has given us spiritual blessings. He has chosen us. He showed us his kindness. He adopted us into his family. He poured out his grace upon us. He set us free. He forgave our sins. He's shown us his mysterious ways. He'll bring heaven and earth together. He brought us the truth, the gospel of salvation. He gave us the promised Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of the inheritance that he has for all of us. And God's going to be praised forever, right? So we've got to see this big story right in the middle of whatever you're going through. You know, if we want to understand what God is doing in our smaller stories, we've got to see his big story, right? If we know his big story, then we can see how God's working in our lives, right? And we can trust him. You know, everything we, everything we do can have a purpose to it. We can really live on purpose if we will do it through Christ, Okay, if we will do it through Christ. So bring your story, your life story, your circumstances, where you're at now, what you do this week, what you did last week. Bring that into Jesus Christ. Bring that into his big story and see how it all fits together. See yourself as a soldier for God on a mission. And if that's too violent for you, see yourself as a diplomat (laughs) or an ambassador. But either way, you're not here. You're not wandering aimlessly around. You've been placed here by headquarters. You've got a job to do. Amen. You got a job to do. Your job is to infiltrate and influence the devil's territory. Your job is to disrupt the plans of hell. Right. Because right? come on, one person who's bringing a light shines light on the darkness. It messes up the plans of darkness. It does. And that's what we're here for. It's not an accident. Amen. We need to be missional minded in that. Even in the mundane things of life, you're on a mission. Amen. It's good, isn't it? So we can learn something by just taking a quick look at this apostle, this Paul, this amazing guy. You know, this is this Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is one of his later books. He's going to die in about five years. He's going to be beheaded at the hands of Nero, going to die for what he believed. Okay, people who make up stuff don't die for it. You know what I'm saying? They look for a way out. He's about to go and boldly face Nero and have his head cut off for what he believes about Jesus, what he experienced about Jesus Christ. So that's how I know this is not him just saying big platitudes in a church service and then going and living something else. This man lived it to the death. Amen. And so at this time in his life, he's been traveling and preaching the the gospel for about 25 to 30 years. Now, life on the road is hard. You know, anybody who I've not had to really live on the road. I've done a lot of traveling. I've worked in other towns, but I've never lived a life on the road where you're out, you know, touring or whatever. And I've always heard that it was hard, but I'm telling you, if it's hard now, back then it was even harder. (laughs) It was a lot harder. And back then it was not only harder, but when they're trying to kill you and you're escaping from town to town, it's really hard. And when they stone you and drag you out of the city and leave you as dead, it can get really hard. Paul was working hard for the gospel for 25 to 30 years. And then he writes this. And as he writes what we just read, I mean, he sounds excited. He sounds like somebody who just met Jesus for the very first time, doesn't he? He never lost that zeal or an excitement or the wonder of God. He never lost his enthusiasm. He never lost his first love. All the way to the end, he was true and faithful to the very end. He never forgot his first love. And we can learn something, too, by looking at the church in Ephesus. Now, some people 
scholarship for different reasons. They, they think that um, some of the oldest manuscripts in the beginning of the book to Ephesians don't actually say to Ephesians. And so some people think it was a circular letter uh, addressed to many churches. Where So Ephesians, the church in Ephesus would have certainly read it. Um, as well as others. But you can see an example of why they think this. Like, look at Colossians 4.16. It says, he's writing a letter to the church in Colossae. And he says, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so because the book of Ephesians doesn't have a lot of personal greetings in it for people in the church, some people think it was a letter that probably went to many churches. And of course, I think history has proven that the book to the Ephesians has gone to many churches because here we are reading it today, right, and studying it. But regardless of of, um, of whether that letter was initially addressed to the church in Ephesus or not, we can learn a lot about the church in Ephesus from the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Uh, last week, we, uh, I talked about the church in Antioch and how about that was a great church to study and to model uh, ministry after. Uh, this church in Ephesus is also a church that is great to study and to be modeled today. Um, in Acts chapter 19, now, if, if you want to get into the study, this is a great two chapters, 19 and 20. I'm going to hit just a couple of high points in it, but I'd encourage you just to go and, and uh, read it on your own. Um, but Paul arrives in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and uh, he meets 12 disciples that were there. They were actually disciples who were disciples of John the Baptist, and Apollos had been there, and he had ministered there before, but when Paul comes, he meets these 12 people, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, well, we never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. So he laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They had a Pentecostal experience. They spoke in tongues and prophesied, and the church was born in, in Ephesians, in Ephesus that day, and he started there. And so Paul, as his custom was, he started preaching and ministering in the Jewish synagogue. And so he's doing that for about three months before he gets kicked out. Because how many of you know the Jews would kick him out all over the place? And after the Jews kicked him out, the Gentiles kicked him out. It wasn't always easy for him. I'm telling you, he had a hard life, man. But after that, he went over to the lec a lecture hall that he had access to, and he, he continued to teach daily, daily for about two more years. And so look at chapter 19 and verse 10. Uh, it says this, I'm just picking up the story right where I brought us to. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Isn't that an amazing thought right there? All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord because Paul was there lecturing daily for two years. Man, he was making a stir, wasn't he? I mean, the gospel was getting out. He's teaching daily in one lecture hall. And man, it was just radiating in waves so that all of what biblical Asia is not the same as what we call Asia, but all of biblical Asia, the whole, that was a gateway. That city was a gateway into that whole area. And Paul was taking advantage of that. And he preached there until all the residents had heard. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. And so in verse 11, look at this. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. What is an extraordinary miracle? So that, I'm glad you asked, so that, it says, even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, the man is preaching in this lecture hall and, and ministering to people, and there's you know so much power and glory or whatever, however it worked. I don't know. I don't know all the mechanics of it, but they could take an a apron that he was wearing and put it on a sick person, and <laughs> they were healed. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
extraordinary miracles. So amazing things are happening in this town. If you, I'm not going to get into it right now, but if you'll go home and read it, you'll, you'll read about the, the, the seven people who were the sons of a man named Sceva who tried to cast out a demon. And they didn't know Jesus themselves. And they went up to him and they said, oh, we adjure you by the Jesus Paul preaches. Come out of this man. And the demon-possessed man jumped him and beat him up and sent him out bloody, running out of the house naked. I mean, and fear came on everybody. And uh, then you'll, you'll see uh, the people started renouncing their magic arts that they were practicing. And everybody came. These were believers. They, fear came upon them and they started repenting and renouncing the magic arts that they were practicing. And they burned their book publicly, renouncing this lifestyle publicly. And when they did, they said it was 50,000. They valued it. Now, this is important to, to, to um, Luke when he wrote it. They valued it at 50,000 pieces of silver. I have no idea how much 50,000 pieces of silver is, but I wouldn't mind having 50,000 pieces of silver, would you? So, I mean, these books, were, these books were valuable. And then finally, after all this preaching and all this stuff going on, a riot breaks out. And so Paul, <laughs> barely escaping being beaten and imprisoned, leaves and heads out to Macedonia. So it's an amazing church here in Ephesus. The birth of it and, and, and the things that God, are, God is doing in this church are just amazing. <clears throat> but if you go down now with me to Acts chapter 20, Paul is returning from Macedonia and he's coming back through. And he doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to be delayed. He doesn't want to go spend time there. And so it says, look at verse 16 with me. It says, Paul has decided to sail past Ephesus. He's, he's going back um, to Antioch and he didn't want to stop there so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible before the day of Pentecost. And then, so what he does is um, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he just, if you look at the map, you know, of Paul's journey, he just pulls up to a coastal city named Miletus. And I think it's about 20 miles. He sends for these elders to come and meet with him. He wants to talk to them just as he's close, as he's on his way back to um, Antioch. Look down. Um, he says some amazing, wonderful things. Go read it. Get anointed, let God speak to you. It's, it's awesome. But today I just want to hit verse 28 to 30. Here's what he tells the leaders at Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So he's telling them, you know, pay attention. Uh, and I, that word right there where it says to care for the church of God, that's actually the word shepherd. He's saying shepherd the church of God. I, I really, one of the, I, I really don't know why they translate the word shepherd so many different ways, but if they would always translate it shepherd, it would be a lot clearer and a lot less confusing. He's telling them the shepherd, that means to care for them, to watch out, to keep the wolves away, to feed them, to work, to shepherd the flock that's among you. And so he's saying to shepherd them. And he says, for I know that after my Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. See, it's a, it's a whole shepherd analogy anyway, right? So it would have been a perfect word. Um, so he's saying fierce, fierce wolves will come in among you. And listen to verse 30. This is crazy. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. So you've got threats from without and threats from within. And they're speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. So, I mean... How does, how does a wolf attack the flock? Speaking twisted things and drawing people away. 
Doctrine is important, isn't it? We, we need to be careful about what we believe. You know, God builds on big foundations. You know, God doesn't build out here on the fringe all the time. God builds on big, solid foundations. You know, when Jesus said to Peter, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church. You know, there's two words there. He said, the, the, the word that, that Peter, your name is Peter, he said, means a small rock, a piece of a rock. Then he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. It means a big foundation bedrock, something huge, something solid. God always builds on big truths, big foundations. And as a church, man, I want us to be established right in the middle of these big truths of God. Amen. Now, I mean, people might go out over here to this edge and eat a little bit and over here and eat a little bit, and that's all good. But as a church, man, I want to be standing right solidly in the middle, right? Right on the solid things of God. I mean, think about it. The Bible, man, there are big themes, you know? I mean, why is it that, uh, you know, uh, the Pentecostals came up with these four big things, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Healer, Jesus the Baptizer with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the soon-coming King? Because these are big truths, man. These are big things, and that's what we want to be built on right in the middle of what God has. Amen? And so Paul warned them about wolves coming and leading people astray. So my question is this. Did they heed the warning? Did they keep the wolves out? The book of or the church in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, rather, it's, it's unique in the fact that we get another letter written to this church some 40 years after this. <clears throat> this letter at this time wasn't written by Paul. He'd already been killed. This, this letter was written by the Apostle John, but it was dictated to him by the Lord Jesus himself. You'll find it in Revelation chapter 2. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. This is by this time, this is like I said, 30, 40 years after the founding of the church in the book of Acts. So this is a second generation church, man. Think about it. All the men who are there and, you know, in their 30s and 40s when Paul came through, now they're in their... Their uh, 70s and 80s, right? And their, their children came up and they're serving God after them. And so there's, you know, new leadership in the church. And Jesus is telling John to write this to the church in Ephesus. He says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have taken tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Come on, they did it. They heeded. They were careful with their doctrine, man. And when somebody came along and said, man, I'm an apostle, follow me, they tested them and they proved them. And the false ones, they, they proved they were not. And God's commending them for it. You didn't follow them. You weren't led astray. They heeded the warning. They kept their doctrine pure. And Jesus is good job. Good job. But in verse three, look what it says. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But verse four, but, I mean, man, Jesus, we are on a roll. <laughs> and now there's a but. <laughs> yeah, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Man, we've got to hang on to truth, but we can't let go of our first love. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's a hard word, isn't it? You know, there's a garden in our backyard still. 
three years ago, we went out there and we turned the soil and we worked it, we dug it, we pulled out the weeds, we planted seeds, we put a fence around it and, you know, it was looking pretty good. Had fruit, we can make beans all year, it was great. And then we did nothing for two years. <laughs> I'm telling you what, the fence is falling down and underneath the falling down fence is <laughs> weeds. I mean, it, come on, it's not the nice grass that comes back, you know, it's the weeds that take over. <laughs> it looks pretty bad. So, I mean, if we want to have a garden again, what have we got to do? We've got to go repair the fence. We've got to go pull out the weeds. We've got to work the soil, break up the soil again, right? right? And Jesus is telling this church, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works that you did at first. God said to Israel in Hosea 10, 12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That's what our garden is. It's fallow ground, man. That's what fallow ground is. It's when you don't plant for a season or for a period of time. And there's reasons for a farmer to, to give the ground rest and let it replenish and, and uh, the, the nitrates and the, the whatever I, I was reading about it one day. I can't remember what at all. But there are things that replenish over time in in the ground that make it suitable. But you know, for a Christian, there's no time for, for, there's no unfruitful season for a Christian. Amen. He says, be ready, be instant in season and out of season, doesn't he? I mean, when Jesus went up to that, that, that fig tree, I know Jay, you've been studying that. What blows me away about it is he goes up to the fig tree looking for fruit and there's no fruit. So he curses the tree. But the reason the Bible says there was no fruit is because it wasn't time for figs. I mean, what right does Jesus have to demand fruit out of season? It's because there is no out of season for a Christian, right? Because his spirit is in us, always willing and ready. And so there's no fallow ground for us, man. Break up your fallow ground. If you've not been producing the fruit, Jesus is telling them, break up the fallow ground. So how do I do that? How do I break up the fallow ground so I can be fruitful in the kingdom? You repent. You remember your first love. And you do the things that you used to do when you were on fire for God. That's what you do. Let me get the band just to come up. and I just want to talk about um, breaking up the fallow ground, remembering our first love. Just play something soft for, for a minute for, for me, if you guys could. Do you remember when you first got saved, man, how you couldn't wait for Sunday to be in church? You can say, well, you know, church isn't the same now. Well, it's not the same now, but you know what? Church now has the potential to be better than it ever was. Are we looking back to the glory days or are we looking forward to the glory days? God has promised some things to do through the church that we've not seen yet. That means we have the potential for it to be better than it's ever been. And you know what? You're a big part of that. Your prayers and your participation will take us there. Do you remember how when you were first born again, how you desired the word of God? You know, there's more things that distract us now than ever before. There's a lot more things to say no to, to give our attention to God. When I was a kid, A-Team came on Tuesday night once a week. <laughs> I had to wait for a whole week to watch V.A. Baracus again. And it's just, we just weren't surrounded by stuff constantly. Three channels, that's it, you know. Half the time we could only get two. And you only got it if you felt like going outside and turning the antenna or whatever. You know, you've been there. 
But man, this stuff is just distraction constantly today. There's a lot more things to say no to. But remember your first love, man, when you desired the word, when all you wanted to do was give your attention to the word of God. Remember those early times of prayer? When you sought the Lord in prayer, maybe by yourself, maybe in a prayer group, but come on, God was so real to you. You couldn't wait to get with somebody and just pray and be in his presence. Well, God hasn't changed. God has not changed. He's still here to meet us in prayer. Amen. Remember how you were just so ready to pray with anybody and tell them about Jesus? Remember how you were so careful with your walk so as not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Always aware of the presence of God on your life, not wanting that to change. Man, you'd rather die than live without the Spirit of God. So remember your first love, he says, and repent and do the things that you did at first. And what I want to do is just as the band ministers and sings this song, just let God speak to you. If this resonates with your heart at all, man, let's just experience God here for a minute. And if this resonates with your heart, man, just do something. Just do something. I just come forward, pray, bow your head, stand up, raise your hands make your chair an altar, whatever, but just do something that will set your trajectory to make a return to your first love of reality in your life. Amen. Praise God. Let's just worship. Let's just experience God today.